Jackson back with you for another Bible Thump, um, and we're in Romans 1, and we've been like camping out for a few weeks now on this really kind of depressing passage in the Bible about how broken and messed up human beings are. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of this, not the whole passage, but just, I'm going to read, so I'm going to read Romans 1, 16 through 17, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 28 of chapter 1 and read through the rest of the chapter. Um, so that makes sense. So just a little bit of Romans 1, and then the end, um, the middle of Romans 1, and then the end of Romans 1. Okay, so here we go. Romans 1, starting in verse 16 and 17, and then we'll skip down to verse 28. Okay, here we go. Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I read those two verses because they're sort of the theme. Uh, not sort of. I think they really are the theme of Romans 1. And so that helps us process and understand why Paul's then jumping in to how broken humanity is in Romans 1 and 2. Make sense? Okay. All right. So now I'm going to skip down to verse 28. And this is what Paul says. And because they, human beings, did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God... Uh, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they did not do, so they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. <sighs> Not really happy. <laughs> Not really a happy story, right? Not really a happy passage of the Bible. But I want to argue that they're really important and that they are good news, and they are part of how God's righteousness is being revealed. Um, and God's righteousness being revealed on earth um, is really important. Uh, his righteousness that's that's the idea when Paul says the righteousness of God is being revealed. He's not saying it's like clear now or that we know something about it that we didn't know before. That is true that we know something about it that we didn't know before. But but more than that, it's like the idea of God's righteousness, his perfection, his beauty, his um, moral superiority, um, his moral perfection really coming to bear on the world. It's revealed. We know it now. We see it now. But more than that, we experience it, um, which – can be hard to stomach because we live in such a broken world. And so thankfully, Paul acknowledges that right off the bat. He says, yes, it is very broken. Um, and so the fact that God's acknowledging this, it's kind of like God saying like, hey, I see. I see how messed up and broken this world is, and I'm going to do something about it. It's good news, right? Because we all experience how broken the world is, and we hate it. We don't like it. We don't like the fact that... Um, there's so much destruction in the world. We don't like the fact that um, our world seems like teetering on the brink of disaster all the time. We don't like inflation. We don't like um, the fact that there's still so much war and so much violence and so much hatred in our world. We don't like the fact that um, we get mistreated in maybe seemingly small ways, but they're not insignificant. We don't like the fact that there's abuse. We don't like the fact that there's gaslighting. We don't like the fact that people... Um, look down upon us, right? Um, or that we um, have broken, strained relationships with people in our lives. We don't like any of these things. We want God to do something about it. Well, that list 
of all the ways that the world is broken is evidence that God's going to do just that. Because he says, he sees, he sees it. He sees that there that the world is filled with unrighteousness and greed, that people are trying to get more than they need. They're full of envy. Some of these sins are not like big, horrible sins. They're sins we might seem might think are not all that harmless, but things like disobedient disobedience to parents. Gossip. We all do that a little bit, don't we? Don't we all talk about other people behind their back every now and then? Slanderers. Don't we all talk about people in ways that damage them sometimes? That's what slander is. Um, he says, arrogant, proud, boastful. Yeah, this week, right? These are all things you've done this week to some extent, right? Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Do you ever hold people to a standard that you don't meet yourself? Do you ever um, refuse to forgive? Do you ever hold on to your frustration with someone, even though they're taking every step they need to take to work towards healing, forgiveness, and restoration? Yeah, we, we do those things sometimes, don't we? So under Paul's definition of what's broken about the world, how fractured this world is, um, I think we have to acknowledge that we're a part of it. So I want to just mention like four things that I think this passage tells us about um, about sin. One, all sin is rooted in unbelief. It's a theological problem. What we believe about God and the world matters. So Paul has just said that all this is rooted in the fact that people suppress the truth about God, verses 18 through um, 23. We suppress the truth about God and righteousness, and it's all rooted in idolatry. We're worshiping things created by human beings rather than God. We're taking God and 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 reducing him to a golden calf like they did in, in Exodus, like the people of Israel did in Exodus. What were they doing in that moment? Aaron would hold up the golden calves and say, Behold your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They're taking God and reducing him to something they can control and manipulate. So in other words, they're putting themselves in the seat of God and they get to say, Hey, we get to decide what's right and wrong. We get to decide what's good and true and beautiful. We get to decide how we're going to live and how we're going to do life. And the problem with that is that when people think they get to be in charge of what's right and wrong and what's good, that's when really horrible things can start to happen. That's when we start to look the other way for things like, when things like genocide um, starts to happen. Or uh, that's an extreme example. It's what happens when we, we, you know, we look the other way when, when there's a broken friendship or relationship and we just don't take the time, the effort necessary to, to bring healing and to fix it. Makes sense. Um, second thing I want to say is that um, it has massive, it's a theological problem, rooted in unbelief, but it has massive relational implications. All those sins that Paul listed in that passage all have to do with, on some level, our relationships with others. Slander causes harm to other people because we're sullying their reputation. Gossip, we're presenting um, information about other people that may or may not be true but it's damaging their reputation, right? It's hurting them. Quarrels, deceit, malice, uh, unmerciful, disobedient to parents. All the, these things um, are disordered desires that result in disordered relationships. And so the more we give in to sort of this idea that, that we get to be the ones in charge of what's good and true and beautiful, the more we step into a life where relationships are broken, 
where our interactions with other people are not are not as they should be. All right, third thing I want to say is God's opposition to sin reminds us that he's going to do something about it. I've already talked about that, but the fact that this is even being brought up says God's going to do something to heal this kind of of world. So what I want to do to close out here is paint a picture of the difference between um, the kind of world that Paul says we live in in Romans 2, where there's disobedience to parents, there's senseless um, senseless people, untrustworthy, unloving people, unmerciful people, uh, filled with all wickedness and righteousness, uh, quarrels, deceit, malice, murder, envy, all these things um, that shape and give color to our relationships. Um, Paul paints a really different picture in the Bible and in Galatians when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. So yes, this is on some level like, and, and by the way, um, I want to pause for just a minute and point out that we need to avoid two extremes, I think, when we talk about sin. Uh, one is imagining that the world is completely and utterly wicked. Um, that's just not true. The world is not completely and utterly wicked. It's not nearly as bad as it could be. It hasn't, it hasn't fallen to this place of being irreparable. It's not fallen to this place of being irredeemable. It, that's just not true. And also, it's um, there are plenty of... We all have disordered, broken desires and disordered, broken relationships. Um but that doesn't mean that we're worthless. We must remember as we think about and talk about sin that we're made in the image of God, that everyone has value simply by nature of being human because God made them, made everyone, all of us in his image. And so we all have value. We all have tremendous capacity to do good. In fact, you probably know um, people who are not Christians who seem like they're better people than you, seem like they have a stronger moral compass, that seem like they do more good in the world. And we shouldn't be surprised about that because those people bear God's image, right? And and God loves that person and has sees so much potential in them and sees so much potential in you. So yes, we're really broken and we're really in need of a savior, but we're not irreparable and we're not as bad as we could be. And we shouldn't be surprised that we see good in the people around us. Okay, so I wanted to point that out. And then the second mistake we need to avoid is thinking all this that Paul says about sin is a bit too much. So we decide that the world isn't evil at all, that there's no brokenness in it, and that's just simply not true. That way of thinking just doesn't deal um, honestly with reality and with the truth that Paul lays out. All right, that said, let me let me paint this picture between what Paul says about human beings, that they're, they're senseless, they're murderers, they're filled with greed, wickedness, they're full of envy, um, they're proud, boastful, inventors of evil, untrustworthy, disobedient to parents, right? Um, this whole picture... Well, here's what Paul says at the end of Galatians in the Fruits of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, he, he lists a similar list of sins just before that, just before getting into the Fruits of the Spirit. But in contrast to what Paul just laid out here, envy, murder, slander, um, disobedience to parents, unmerciful, uh, in contrast to that, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All virtues, attitudes, an embodied lifestyle that brings good into the world. Love, kindness, gentleness, patience. When other people are acting in really broken ways, in really hurtful ways, you're patient. You see the potential that they don't see in them. You're, you suffer with them and say, we'll, we'll get through this, we'll get behind it. 
uh, kindness, you go out of your way to show love and care to the people around you. Um, Self-control. You don't give in to every whim, every desire that comes your way, but no, you, you, you see the value of controlling your desires to make sure that you live in harmony with your neighbors, that you build them up and do what is good to help them flourish and grow. You have a vision for life that's bigger than you, right? Um, so let me ask you this. Would you rather live in a world that was marked by the list of things Paul mentions at the end of Romans 1? Envy, gossip, slander, disobedience to parents, senseless, unmerciful, wickedness. Um, or would you rather live in a world, in a city, a city marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do you want to live in a place where people operate like the end of Romans 1 or the end of Galatians and the fruits of the Spirit? You see, in laying out the fruits of the Spirit, God's saying, hey, here's a picture of what I'm going to do about the brokenness of the world. I'm going to fix it. And it starts with you embracing these attitudes of the Spirit. Embracing the righteousness of God coming to bear on the world. Embracing that there is a better way of life that actually leads to uh, the flourish, to our flourishing, to our growth as God's people, but then to the flourishing of the people around us that we have the privilege, we have the gift, we have the, the calling to influence and to help flourish. You are a part of God's plan to redeem the world. You are a part of God's plan to bring flourishing. You are part of God's plan to bring shalom, to bring peace to see the righteousness of God take root and, and, and bud and flourish all over, all over the globe. But it starts in your house and in your home and in your relationships. And what beauty God might create there if we said, God, bring the fruits of the Spirit. Start that process of healing. How beautiful and good would that be? Uh, that's it for me. This is got this is Bible Thump 99. We've almost done a hundred of these things. Is that crazy? So I don't know what I'm gonna do for 100, but something fun or cool. I don't know. Probably just more of Romans, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll think about how we could celebrate the fact that somehow, by the grace of God, we've been able to do. We're, we've almost been able to do a hundred of these things. Well, thanks for your time. We'll see you next week. Bye.